Why don't you open that up? And we're going to go to the book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 1. We are coming back to the book of James this Sunday with a message titled, Drawing Closer to God. If you like taking notes, write that down, Drawing Closer to God. James has told us, as he's exhorting the church here, the Jewish believers, that are undergoing trials and tribulations and very hard times, hardships in life. Just like us, that we are going through hardships in life. He's encouraging them to draw closer to God, but to live a life of true, genuine faith. We ought to not only come to church, but live a life of true, genuine faith. And he's already told us that true, genuine faith is first of all displayed in humility. Not only is the wisdom of God displayed in humility, but true and genuine faith is displayed in humility. And he has given us the difference now that pride, not only is it sinful, but it separates us from God and pride separates us from one another. Remember that today, church, please. That not, not only is pride sin, but it separates you from God and it separates you from one another now. This is why today we are going to study and we're going to realize, we're going to come here to Scripture and know that humility is the highway to holiness. You want to be holy? You must be humble. <laughs> humility is the highway to holiness. It is the only way that we are going to become holy, that we are going to become more like Christ, is that we are first humble. And we're going to talk here about what unity we need in the church today. Because we know that the church oftentimes faces trouble, faces division, faces splits in the church, faces now uh, these types of things that are taking place in the church that face quarrels now and wars and fights now, not only in the world but in the church as well, because of pride. And this is what he's going to talk about. He's going to call us out. He's going to say, hey, there's a lot of pride in your life right now, and that's exactly why you can't get along with anyone. That's why the Spirit of God is not moving, because of the selfishness. You know that selfishness is the very essence of sin? Because you're thinking about yourself. You have your eyes on self, on me, on my pleasures, on what I want. We have to be people that say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's exactly what we want to do, to surrender to the will of God. So let's go ahead and read James chapter 4, verse 1. He says this, where do wars and fights come from? Or where do wars and fights come from among you, personal? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war in your members? You lust and you don't have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight in a war yet you do not have because you don't ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend on your own pleasures. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for your word, Lord. We ask, Lord, that it would cut us to the heart this morning. And if there's anything that's standing in the way of our relationship with you, Lord, that you would remove it. Any pride, any ego, any envy, any jealousy that would cause a division, Lord, that you would remove that right now, Lord, so that your spirit can flow freely through our lives. Lord, we know that your spirit moves 
when the church is united, when the church is in one accord. We ask, Lord, that you would do that for us today. In Jesus' name, the church together said, Amen. Amen. Now it says this, where do wars and fights come from? Now, he's going to give us the cause, but also the cure for wars. He's going to give us the cause and the cures for wars. He's going to say, this is how fights get started, but this is also how fights get stopped. <laughs> and maybe right now there's division taking place in your life. There's a separation maybe in the home. There's a separation maybe in a relationship with a son or with a daughter. Maybe there's separation between you and God and you've come today and you want to reconcile to the Father. But there's a separation that must be reconciled. And here is going to identify the division or the, the separation that must come together again. And he starts off and he says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Now notice, he's not talking about the world. Yes, fights and wars are also in the world, but he's talking about why do fights and wars start in the church? Why are you facing problems in your home right now? Why are there, there, are there fights and arguments and divisions and quarrels in the church? Why is it that this is happening? Notice this, this is not God's plan for the church. God is all about addition. God sometimes is also even about blessed subtraction. But God is not a God of division. <laughs> and we're going to see that that is not God's plan for the church. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul told the church of Philippi, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast or you're standing your ground in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. We are working together now for the faith of the gospel. Now do you see how important it is that when you have one mind and you're striving together, we're able to accomplish more for the work of the kingdom? Therefore, we ought to not let division come among us. We ought to protect the unity of the church. Jesus said in John chapter 13, a new commandment, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, also love one another. We ought to love one another. In Psalms 133 verse 1, it says how beautiful and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in harmony. Have you ever got into a room and you see unity? You can even feel unity. The unity is in the culture, is palpable, the unity. And what a joy it brings to you when you walk into a place, a household, and God is blessing the unity of that place. What is His Spirit able to do? His Spirit is able to minister to the hearts in unity. Now he's talking to the church here and he's saying, do they not come from, verse 1 here, your desire for pleasures that war in your members. You see, there are three different types of wars that happen. Number one, the war with one another. We're going to also look at the war with the flesh. And also number three, the war with the will of God. <laughs> with wanting to submit to the will of God, with resisting to the will of God. We have the war with each other now, the war with the flesh, and then also our own personal war with the will of God. And he's saying, do not wars come from now, the flesh now, or from your desires for pleasure? Now circle that word and understand that word, desires for pleasure. What does that mean? That means don't wars come from, doesn't division come from, doesn't the fights come from, from your own selfish passions and desires from your lust 
and from the pleasure within you that you desire now what the flesh wants. That's how now divisions begin. From your desires for pleasure. Now we have to ask ourselves as we read this text, are we living for our pleasure or are we living for the pleasure of God? Are you living for the pleasure of the Lord or are you living to self-pleasure your life? People become addicted to things. People go out and waste their life because they're thinking about their own pleasure. And he's saying, you know why there's division in the home? Because you're thinking about your own pleasure. You know why there's division in the church? Because everyone wants to come and they want to have their own idea of what would satisfy them. If you are constantly living to satisfy the desires of your flesh, you are going to be living a very unsatisfied life for the rest of your life. Because you're going to be chasing something that never fulfills you. In fact, he goes on and he says, Don't you, isn't this happening because of your pride and just thinking about yourself? You see, in the church then, what was happening is that self-ambition was being ruled in their assembly or in their gatherings instead of spiritual submission. Am I self-ambition? Ambitious right now? Or am I submissive to the Spirit of God? That is the war that takes place with one another because of our selfish pleasure, our selfish ambition, our selfish promotion. You know, in the world that we live in today, you know what people are after, especially in the social media culture that we live in? Everybody is hungry for followers. <laughs> Everyone is hungry for now promotion, for pleasure, for reputation. But I love that in humility, we learn that through Jesus Christ, that He made Himself, notice this, of no reputation. <laughs> We're always concerned about what other people think about us, but what about what God thinks about you? What about what God has to say about your life? The war with one another, but also the war with the flesh. Verse 2, notice this. You lust or you desire the selfish pleasure now that your flesh wants. It's a personal selfish pleasure now. And notice this, that the word lust here is talking about a desire. Lust is a desire that's always motivated by pride. Lust is a desire that's always also motivated by pleasure. Now, is this something that I love or is this something that I'm lusting after? Well, you all can automatically can test this if this is lust, if it's motivated by your pride and if it's motivated by your pleasure. And he says, you're motivated by pride and you're motivated by pleasure now. In fact, you will go to the point of murdering now and coveting now and you still don't receive. Now, do you see the self-ambitious person, the person that is striving for something? Notice this, they will always live a life that is unhappy. That is unhappy. They will never be satisfied or grateful for the blessings that God has for them in their life because they're always looking at the blessings that they don't have. And notice how it says this in verse 2, you lust and you don't have. You have the desire, you have that pleasure, you, you're motivated by, by personal pleasure. Now, and notice this, you murder and you covenant and cannot obtain. Now, you go to the point of murdering, of hating someone, your brother or your sister, because you covet what they have. Notice, have you ever seen someone have something or be at a place and you desire that? And how do you respond when God is blessing someone that you know? How do you respond to that? Do you respond with murder, which is hate in your heart? 
Are you coveting what others have? In fact, he says, you will go to the point of scheming now to kill and to fight and to get it, and you will be relentless because this is an uncontrollable desire in your flesh that is manifested now in your actions. You know that a selfish desire always leads to wrong actions? You'll find yourself speaking the wrong way. You'll find yourself talking about that person in a way that doesn't honor God of scheming, of trying to manipulate things. Because just because you want what others, don't, what others have that you don't have. I want to tell you something, church. Just because others have something doesn't mean that you need it. Doesn't mean that you need it. And what he's talking about here in verse 2, that he's not only referring to a life of conflict, but he's also talking fundamentally about a person that is living an unsatisfied life. An unsatisfied life. Have you ever lived an unsatisfied life? You know what that looks like? It looks like a person that is motivated by their pleasure. The unsatisfied life. Because when you're living for God's pleasure and your eyes are on Him and your devotion is on Him, guess what? You are living the satisfied life and you are content in the will of God. It's not about what you don't have. It's about the presence of God that you're living in. And ask yourself, do I need this or does my pride want this? Is this a lust now? Because in verse 2, he's saying, you will manipulate things. You will break rules. You will step on people. You will murder. You will hate. You will covet just so that you can get your way. And you will want to take it by force. <laughs> because you believe that's for you. Take it by force. Notice, it's so important that we realize this because lust will never fill you. We think lust will fill us, but lust will never fill you. In fact, lust will leave you empty even more every time. It will leave you empty, miserable. And we have to be very attentive to what are the things that we're living for. What are you living for today? In fact, this is why he tells us the number one reason why we lust and we're trapped in these desires, he says in verse 2, the second half, it says this, you fight in war, yet you don't have them. You're willing to fight for this. You're willing to go to war for this. You're willing to take it from someone, and you don't have it because you don't ask. <laughs> you know what's the identification of the person that's living a life filled with lust? And it says, you're not getting this, and the reason you're not getting this is because you're not asking in the right way. You're not praying. So not only is it our pride, but it is also our sin of prayerlessness. Think about the sin of prayerlessness. That maybe you desire something, and it's a pleasure. Maybe it's something that God put in your heart. And you're wondering, Lord, is this for me? You know what the best way to do? It's to go into prayer and say, Lord, I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to try to get it my way. I'm not going to try to get it in my timing. I'm not going to try to manipulate things so I can have it right now. I'm going to pray. And he's saying the problem right now is that you're not praying, church. So that you don't even see yourself. You can't even discern how your behavior is so selfish. Do you see how prayer is so important? You don't have it because you're not asking God. You're asking everyone else but God. <laughs> There's so much power in prayer. That's why we have to let the Lord 
give it our request to us, to honor our request to us. And guess what? If he says no, it's probably because we don't need it. It's probably because we don't need it. The true fulfillment that you receive is when God gives it to you because you submit it to his timing and you're depending upon him. You're not going out trying to work out your own master plan behind the scenes and scheming so that you can be at a place that you think you need to be, but God doesn't have you there for such a reason. And he's going to tell us that right now, that he's going to give you that desire, and if it's coming from him, it's really going to satisfy. You don't have to kick doors open. You don't have to kick doors open, church. You know what the most beautiful thing is? Is that when you're waiting on the Lord, and he opens that door right for you, you can just walk right through it, and guess what? You will be blessed. You'll be blessed. Those that kick down doors and they get to the other side, guess what? They're never blessed. Because the Lord didn't open that door for them. And it's so frustrating trying to do something that, that God doesn't have for you. It's so frustrating trying to be somewhere that God doesn't want you to be at. And we become very unhappy, very unsatisfied, and our lives are filled with complaints. Verse 3, it says, you ask, and when you do ask, and when you do pray, he's going to tell us one thing here in verse 3 to check your motives. I think all of us here need to check our motives this morning. Why is it that you want that so badly? Why is it that you need that so badly? There is nothing that you need so badly that you have to fight for and war and cause division for. If, it ca if, if it's going to cause a division in the body, then you don't need it. <laughs> because here he's talking to the church to protect that unity. Now notice this here in verse 3. It says, you ask and you don't receive. <laughs> well, this is something that we don't like to always read because he's telling us and he's giving us the answer. He's saying, because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. When you are praying, you're not receiving what you're praying for because your motives are all wrong. Because your motives are all wrong. You know the word amiss? You know what that word means? It's talking or referring to a wasteful living like the prodigal son. You're asking for something and you're asking amiss. You're only going to waste it on your own pleasures now. And it's so important that we realize this because sometimes we're asking God for things. And he doesn't give them to us. You know why he doesn't give it to you? Because he knows that's going to get in the way of your relationship with him. And Lord, if you give me that house, Lord, if you give me that car, if you give me that bank account, you know what would happen if he gives you that house, that car, and that bank account, then you won't come to church. <laughs> You'll be so caught up with yourself that, guess what? My relationship with God no longer is number one. Now, are those things bad things? Those things are not bad things. Those things are not bad things when we desire those things to honor God, to glorify God. But when our heart and our motives are to glorify ourselves, God will put a halt on that very quickly. Because He wants to protect your heart. Now let's read that verse 3 because it's so important. It says here, you only want and what you will get, you want to spend it on your pleasure or on your personal gratification. And notice this, when our praying is wrong, our whole Christian life is wrong. <laughs> because our whole Christian life is focused around self, around I, around ego. And selfish living means really selfish praying now. And it always leads to wars. 
You know, it's, it's so sad when you see someone leave one church because of division, and then they go to another church because of division. And then they go to another church, and it's because of division, but it's never them. It's always the churches that they're going to. <laughs> and you have to ask yourself, is it the churches that are divided, or is, am I the one that's bringing the division every time? <laughs> you know what happens? It's the person that comes with an agenda. The Christian life is one life that has no agenda. That's saying, Lord, I'm open and I'm available to whatever you want to do. The moment that you have an agenda is the moment that you say that what I want is more important than what God wants to do in my life. And we have to say, Lord, here is the agenda of my life. Lord, you take over and whatever you want is more important. Now notice what he's saying here because the, the unsatisfied person that is so selfish is always looking for something that is going to change their lives, but the real problem is their heart. It's the problem of the heart. We have to not go to prayer and say, Lord, I'm going to go pray and I'm going to receive what I want and, and it's coming with the wrong motive and intention. It's not going to glorify God. I love what it's been said before. Alan Redpath said this, the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but it's to get God's will done on earth. It's not for you to go in and to receive everything that you think that you want and that you need that it's going to satisfy your desires. The Christian life is not a life that you're constantly living to cater to self. If you're always living to cater to self, you're not living a life that's going to honor God. This is why we have to check our motives. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Now let's keep reading here because he's going to call them out. <laughs> we don't like to be called out, but he's calling them out in verse 4. <laughs> it's going to challenge them. We need to be challenged today. You know, today in today's culture, nobody likes to be called out or challenged. Everything is right. Whatever you feel, if, you, if that makes you feel good, then you go for it. And if you're motivated by what makes you feel good, you're only going to end up living a life of sin. That's where the culture that we live in, it's, it's, it's whatever makes you feel good. And, and if that makes you feel good, then live that way. And that's what's going to happen in the last days, the apostasy in the church. Because it's going to begin with deception. It's going to begin with self-pleasure. It's not going to begin with the crucified life. The crucified life says, I've crucified my life. It's no longer I who lives for me, but it's my life. I live for the Lord who died for me. Are you living that crucified life today, or are you living the life of ambition? Of ambition. Now notice here in verse 4, he calls them out and he says, Adulterers, and adulteresses. <laughs> this is a heavy challenge and exhortation. This is the word of encouragement that you were waiting for all morning. <laughs> Adulterer and adulteresses. Notice, you are committing spiritual adultery. Did you remember in the Old Testament when the nation of Israel continued to commit spiritual adultery? And they were turned to all these gods, the gods of Molech. The gods of idolatry, the gods of sin, of sexuality, of money. In today's world, we see that people are turning to those gods. It's all about pleasure. And here he's saying, you are committing spiritual infidelity. Well, how, how can I possibly be an adulterer in my heart? How is it that God is saying that I am an adulterer or I am unfaithful to God right now? Well, he's saying, you've been unfaithful to God in your loyalty, number one. 
You are being unfaithful to God in your commitment. You're being unfaithful to God in your attention. Your attention used to be on God. Your attention no longer is on God. Your commitment, your loyalty, your attention, your affection, your allegiance no longer is on God. You are being unfaithful to God, church. It used to be that that my time with God was protected. Now, I won't go to church because I have all these other commitments that maybe are secular, that are secondary, but have made them primary in my life. What is that? Unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness. You know when you know that God is number one in your life? When the things of God are number one in your life. When the house of God is number one in your life. This is where we belong, church. In the Word of God and prayer. I want to ask you, is there something that's taking you away from spending time with God and with the body? Is there something or someone that's taking you or pulling you away so that your attention, your affection, your focus, your allegiance is now on this other thing that's so temporary, but it's taking you away from God? That is adultery, spiritual infidelity. Now he says this in verse 4, Do you not know that your friendship with the world is enmity, or it's division, or it's hatred, or you're an enemy with God? Whoever, therefore, he repeats it, wants to be. Circle the word wants to be. Not only is a friend, but wants to be a friend. <laughs> you would say, well, I don't, well, I'm not a friend of the world, but you want to be. <laughs> and that's what he says. Well, I don't have these secular commitments that are pulling me away, but you want to be. You want, you're looking at those things and, and you're lusting after them. You're you're living for self-pleasure. Whoever wants to be friends of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you see the war that's constantly taking place in the flesh now? A war with one another because there's a war in the flesh now. And the war of the flesh is that our flesh wants to be friends with the world. (laughs) But our loyalty has to be to God. Where's your loyalty today? And he's saying, don't you realize, don't you recognize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God and we ought to declare war against the flesh today so that we can have victory over the flesh and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what he's telling us right here. In fact, he says, I'll say it again, whoever wants to be friends with the world makes himself or becomes distant or divides himself with God. You want to know why? Because when you have a desire to love the world, you've turned your back on God. When you have a desire to love the things of this world, you've already turned your back on God. And your loyalty here is divided. Your loyalty is divided. You have commitments in two different places. And I think it's so interesting because in today's world, we, lose, we use that word commitment so even loosely. Oftentimes we overcommit. And our attention is so divided into so many things, especially in the believer. That's why I love the week of prayer and fasting, because it pulls out all those distractions and you realize how much things you actually don't need in life. There are some of us here that are into too many things. You see a believer that's into that, and the next week they're into this thing, and the next week they're into that thing, and they're always into different things. (laughs) Why? Because they're not into the one thing. And that's the Lord. 
Now notice what he's saying here. Your commitment is divided. Are you being faithful to God? I want to tell you this. Unfaithfulness happens when you begin to love other things more than you love God. And that's the beginning of backsliding. That's the beginning of the backslidden. When you love things more than you love God. What is it? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, we receive this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Don't love temporary things. <laughs> Don't chase after them. They're going to perish. You can't take them with you to heaven. <laughs> Think about how much you will leave behind and what truly matters. Don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, what I want, my desire, the lust of the eyes, oh, that looks so nice. I need that right now. That's new. I need that right now. I need to upgrade always. <laughs> the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. What's the pride of life? I want my status to be higher. My ego, how people perceive me, the pride of life here is not of the Father. Wow, is that my pride and my pleasure? That's not of God. But it's of the world. And the world is passing away. That is only going to pass away. And the lust of it, but he who does the will of the Father abides forever now. What did Jesus say? No one can serve two masters. Because he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon or God and money. There are so many people that I, you know, me even growing up in the church that I've seen young people that are so gifted and so talented that God has given them callings. And they decided to chase money and success and no longer are they serving in the ministry. Because making money was more important than pleasing God. I want to ask you today, what is more important than pleasing God today? Is there anything more important than pleasing God? It first starts as a friendship with the world. Then it starts with being spotted by the world. <laughs> then you start to want the approval of the world. When you start to look for the approval of the world, you've gone too far. <laughs> You're already in a dangerous place. You're looking for the approval of the world, and guess what happens after you, you receive it, the approval of the world? You start to conform like the world and the expectation of the world. Don't look to satisfy the expectation of the world's standards. That's not the expectation. That's not the standard that you live by. Where do I need to be in life not, right now? Exactly where God wants you. That's where I need to be. <laughs> Oftentimes we think, by this age, should I have been there? You should be exactly where God wants you. That's the only place you need to be and nowhere else. Now notice, let's keep reading verse 5. It says, or do you think the scripture says in vain? Do you think that... That, that God said this with absolutely no meaning or power? Or do you think that God said this without authority? The Word of God comes with authority. And He says this, The Spirit who dwells in you yearns jealousy. God is jealous for you. This is exactly why He doesn't want you to be a friend with the world. Because He knows it's going to pull your attention. He knows it's going to pull your affection. He knows it's going to pull your loyalty. God is jealous for you. Every time you're not spending time in the Word of God, God is jealous for that time. Every time you are missing the fellowship and forsaking the assembly of the gathering of the saints, God is jealous for that time. Every time you said no to God's will because you wanted your own will, 
God is jealous for that time. You think he says that in vain? In fact, the Spirit of God in us will convict the Christian that is living in compromise. And the friendship with the world, what it, hap- what it does is that it provokes God's jealousy. It provokes God's jealousy. In fact, he goes on and he says this, but he gives more grace. Underline the word more grace. This is a beautiful word. Because we want more grace, we need more grace. The scripture says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, what does he give more grace? He gives you grace or the strength now to live in his will. That's what it means to give more grace. Every day, God gives you a fresh supply of grace, of favor, of strength, so that you can remain loyal to what he's called you to do. His grace is sustaining us. His grace is made perfect in our weakness. We're standing on His grace. We're depending on His grace. You know what the enemy wants you to depend on your flesh. But the truly humble will depend on the grace of God. That's exactly why a lot of people say, you know what, I've been trying so many times and I fail and every day I fail and every day I fail. You know why? Because you're trying it in your flesh. You're not trying it by the grace of God. Without the grace of God, you wouldn't have a testimony. We need the grace of God. And he goes on, he says, verse 6, notice this, God resists the proud. God doesn't say this in vain. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What does it mean to resist the proud? God does not accept the proud heart. God doesn't accept the proud heart. He resists the proud heart. There are often times we want to come before the presence of the Lord in pride. And we, we've said this before, and I want you to realize this again, that God will never anoint pride. God will always give more grace to the humble. God will give more strength to the humble. God will give more anointing to the humble. God will open doors to the humble. Why? Because he knows that the humble will give the glory to God. Do you see how this is so important in your life? The trajectory of your life can be based off of just this verse and you will live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Now notice this, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble on those that want to depend on the grace of God. He gives it more generously, he says. One of the problems in the church today is that too many people want to be celebrities. There's not enough servants. (laughs) Everybody wants to be liked and known. It's all about how can I showcase who I am. If you're so worried about your image, you're never going to be in the image of Christ. Because that's the only image that really matters. If you're worried about every other voice, how are you going to listen to the voice of God? The only voice that really matters. You know what humility does here? It opens the door for God to use you. It opens the door for God to use you. You want to be used by God? It opens the door for God to use you. And this is important here because he says God resists or he holds back that proud attitude, but he gives grace to the humble. In Matthew 23, verse 12, Jesus said, whoever exalts himself, what is the Lord going to do? He's going to humble that person. And he who humbles himself, the Lord will raise that person up. Isn't that amazing now? 
In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, write this down please, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. I likewise, or likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Be submissive. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another. Clothe yourself in humility, for God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Do you know that we hate that word in our society today, submission? It's so sad that we hate submission. We hate authority. We hate submitting ourselves under authority. That's why we see people rebelling now, even against law enforcement, against order. You know what the proud attitude says? I don't need order. I'll do what I want. But the humble spirit that God honors will say, I will submit under authority. I will submit under order. The word submit means I will fall in line. <laughs> if you've ever seen the military march or do drill, you notice one thing. They all look the same. There's nobody that looks different. There's nobody that's out of step. And if you try to get out of step, you try to go a little ahead, you try to do your own thing, you're going to get checked really quick because you're called to fall in line. Here he's saying that we would be submissive and fall in line under the authority of God. To end Micah chapter 6, verse 8, I love this verse. If we would live this verse and hold on to this verse for the rest of our lives, think about what God can do. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. What is good then? Receiving this exhortation, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? What does God want of me right now? You would ask yourself, what does God want for my life right now then? Because I'm at a crossroads. I'm at a place where I need to make decisions. <laughs> we don't like making decisions. But if you can stick to this, you'll know this. God will bless you. What does God require of me but to do, number one, justly, to be honest and true, to have a life of honesty, you're only as strong as you are honest. Please remember that. You are only as strong as you are honest. Because honesty has everything to do with your character. To do justly, notice this, to love mercy. I'm going to love mercy. I'm going to love mercy, the grace of God, the mercy of God. You know what mercy means? I'm going to be ready and willing to forgive. I'm being ready and willing to give mercy when mercy is needed. And notice this also, and to walk humbly with your God. God wants you to walk humbly with Him today. But you cannot walk humbly with God. And I, and I want you to remember this. You cannot walk humbly with your God. You can't walk humbly with your God. You cannot walk humbly with your God if there's something standing in the way. If there's something standing in the way of you walking humbly with Him. And maybe so, there was a point where you and Him were walking humbly together. Well, you're walking so close to God. But then a friendship or a commitment with the world started to pull you away. Well, God today is saying, you need to come back to me. You need to come back to me. Can we pray right now? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. Maybe there are some of us that need to come back. Come back to you, Lord. If you're here 
And you need the Lord's strength, the grace of God. Maybe you've let something get in the way. 